know that we've been taking time recently to look at a letter that you find in the Bible written by a man called Paul, and he writes it to a church in Ephesus. Um, And over the course of the first three chapters of this letter, Paul basically sets out to try and help them to understand and to get hold of all that Jesus has done for them. The makeover that we receive as we're made new in Jesus. Something new that we don't have to work for or work at or strive for, but we just get to receive as a gift. Because Jesus has done all the work. And Paul tells us that that when we accept Jesus as our king, we are made completely new. We are given a new identity as children of God. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are accepted. We belong. We're part of God's family. We're washed clean. We have a fresh start. We're made new. We move from being in a place where we're spiritually dead to being alive in Jesus. That we have a hope not only for now and today, but a hope for eternity. And that we receive a purpose that is bigger than ourselves. And the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to live out God's plan and purpose in our lives. When we accept Jesus in an instant, everything changes. We are made new. We get that kind of ground force makeover. And this is what we're celebrating for each one of the guys who are being baptized today. That they have been made new in Jesus and that this hope is theirs. And then in chapter 4, Paul kind of changes tack. And he says, now that you understand who you are in Jesus, now that you understand what Jesus has done for you, the makeover that you've received as a free gift, now live a life that puts on display what Jesus has done. Don't let the weeds of your old ways grow back and start to take over the garden of your life again. Put the effort in to keep digging the weeds out. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like it takes an awful lot of effort. And there are areas of my life where those weeds just seem to keep coming back again and again and needing to be pulled out and dug out. And it's not always easy. You know, there are times, and and this isn't unique to to being a, a Christian. This is something that I think every single one of us would relate to. But there are times when I know what the right thing is to do. And I want to do the right thing. And yet when the moment comes, I just can't seem to do it. You know, there are are times when I I look at the garden of my life and, and what I want to see grow is the fruit of patience. And yet what so often seems to happen is that that weed of anger grows up and strangles it and chokes it out. And when I'm tired and grumpy, I end up snapping at my kids. All too easily. You know, you'll have your own examples and your own kind of experiences of this. Because every single one of us, we, no matter what we believe, we have a set of ideals that we, we, we want to kind of live up to. And yet somehow we never seem to quite manage it. And maybe we make New Year's resolutions or new commitments or we get hold of self-help books or we kind of go on the blogs that kind of give us advice about how to be the best that we can at whatever it is that we want to do. 
And yet still we find, like Paul talks about elsewhere in Romans 7, that we don't do the things that we want to do, and instead we do the things that we don't want to do. And in the verses in Ephesians that we're going to look at today, Paul is going to talk about why that happens, why that is. And how in Jesus we can not only be made new and set free, but we can start to live from that place of freedom and to live out what it looks like to be made new. So this is what Paul writes. It's going to pop up on the screen. Feel free to pop, read along if you've got a Bible with you. Um, Ephesians 4 verses 17 to 24 says this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And when Paul talks about the Gentiles here, really what he's meaning is anybody who doesn't know or doesn't live out the ways of God. And he goes on, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." Now, what Paul says here could come across as pretty offensive, couldn't it? You know, particularly for, maybe for, for those of you who are here to support people who are being baptized, and, and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. But Paul here is actually, he's writing not to, to, to people outside of the church, he's writing to Christians. And he is passionately saying to them, don't go back to your old way of living and your old way of thinking. Don't let the weeds grow up and take over the garden of your life. Because the reality is that whatever we believe, whether we would call ourselves Christians or not, we live in a world that pulls us towards being hard-hearted. That pulls us towards living for ourselves and what we want and our own comfort that pulls us towards believing that we're in the right. And so we justify and make excuses for our own behavior and see it all as okay, while holding to account everybody else and holding on to the bitterness when people hurt us for the things that they've done. Paul says that each one of us is in this world that pulls us towards being hard-hearted. And that we are dealing with this old self, this old nature that's full of deceitful desires. We're deceived into believing the promises of this world that there are quick fixes to happiness. That if we'll just go along and and with our feelings, because I feel like if I did this, then if I just satisfy that desire, then I'll be happy. And even though our past experience so often tells us that those quick fixes just end up in broken relationships or a brokenness inside of us, 
We're so deceived by it. We're so in that world. We're so pulled in that way that we just keep on repeating the cycle. And Paul says that when we allow our hearts to be hardened in this way or we give in to deceitful desires, we become darkened in our understanding or essentially we become spiritually blind. Because we have been shaped and influenced by the world and our by the world we're in and by our own corrupted kind of nature, we become unable to see or recognize the wrong things that we do. That the Bible will call sin, the ways in which we choose our own way over God's way. And we become unable to see or to recognize the good things that God has for us and the blessings that he has for us because our blindness separates us from him. And Paul is saying this is an issue for every single one of us here. No matter where we're at or what we believe, this is a real live issue for every single one of us here. And because it's something that we are blind to, because it's to do with our hearts being hard, it's not something that we can fix with our own kind of effort and just by trying harder to be good people or to live in a better way. He says we need to be made new. That without receiving Jesus and being made new, no matter how good we are, we are separated from God and the garden of our life is full of weeds. As I said, Paul here is writing to to people who have received Jesus, who have been made new. So what he's saying to them then is, you've been made new, so don't go back to your old way of thinking. Don't go back to your old ways of, of living. Because when you do that, what you do is it's like that you are going out and buying weeds and planting them in your pristine, beautiful garden. And while you are a new creation, while you belong to Jesus, and nothing can change that, because it's all about what he has done, not what you do. If you go around planting weeds in your garden, what will happen is that those weeds will grow up and they will choke out the good things that God has for you. They will separate you from the blessings that God has for you. Your hardness of heart will cause a blindness to the things of God and will limit the plans and purposes that he has for your life. And the only way for our eyes to be opened and for our hearts to be made new is by coming and bowing the knee again to Jesus. And every time we do that, he washes us clean and he makes us new. That's the amazing hope that we have. The starting point for the transformation of our lives, the starting point for us not having that bit, that feeling or that sense of we not do, don't do the things we want to do and we do do the things that we don't want to do is not our own kind of self-effort and trying harder. The start of it is not to do with willpower. 
because we've all experienced and we all know from the times that we've tried that, that it doesn't work, that we just end up exhausted. And back doing the same things again or having replaced those things with something else which is just as similar. Trying harder on its own doesn't work. The starting point is for us to be made new by Jesus. To receive from Jesus forgiveness and new life and hope. To receive from Jesus a new identity as someone who is holy and blameless and pure, a child of God. And if you are a Christian today, then no matter what battles or struggles, what weeds you might be dealing with in your garden, this is the reality of who you are. This is who you are in Jesus. You are forgiven. You are made new. You are holy. You are beautiful. You are pure. You are a child of God. You are loved and accepted. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian today, then that's what God is inviting you to. And it's not an invitation to try and be a better person or to improve a little bit by your own kind of self-effort. It's an invitation to be made completely new through the work that Jesus has done. And then having been made new, Paul says, now... Live like you are new. You know, I've been using the kind of imagery, we've come on to this later, guys. Um, I've been using the kind of imagery of, um, of a garden. Um, Paul, though, uses the imagery of, of clothes. Um, you know, we're coming to the end of the, the football transfer window at the moment. I don't know, some of you are probably into football, some of you probably aren't. But essentially what Paul is saying is when you became a Christian, it's like you were transferred from the hopelessness of being a player for Truro City Football Club, and you were transferred to being a player for Manchester City or Liverpool or Tottenham for one of, one of the great teams, and you're in this kind of glorious place. You've got a new identity. You belong to a new team, and nothing can change that. So now take off your old Truro City football shirt, And put on your new shirt. Take off your old way of thinking. Stop following the instructions of your old manager. And put on the new way of thinking. And follow the instructions of your new manager. You've been transferred to a new team. So now live like it. And the way that we change our clothes, the way that we take off our old way of thinking and put on the new, Paul says, is by the renewing of the attitude of our minds. That's why gathering together like this on a Sunday morning, why spending time with God in prayer, why taking time out to read the Bible is so important. Because none of us have arrived and we're all a work in progress and we all need help. We all need our minds to be renewed. We all need to to fix our eyes on the promises of God. Who he says he is, who he says we are in him. Because we are in a battle. And so we need to make a choice every day to put off our old self. 
so that we are not deceived back into that sinful way of living and thinking and allowing those weeds to grow up. And then so we, we need to commit ourselves to put that off, to renew our minds and to put on the new self, our new identity. And one of the ways that I want to encourage you to do this really practically is just a a way through the week that you can come back to this and to to live this out is that every single one of us, we've got dressed to come here today, didn't we? None of you are sat there naked. If you are, you're very hidden and I can't see you and people are not looking shocked enough. You know, all of us got dressed today. And so every day when you get dressed physically, I want to encourage you in that moment to remind yourself how Jesus has clothed you spiritually. Every day as you get dressed in your heart, hand over to him again your old self, your old clothes, your old way of thinking. The wrong things and the mistakes that you've made and receive from him and take on and put on your new identity in him. All that Jesus has done, his forgiveness, his grace, his power, his love for you, so that you can go out and face every day knowing who you are in Jesus and living in a manner that puts him on display. So having put off the old way and put on the new, Paul gets really practical. And he starts to talk about some of the kind of specific areas that we might struggle with. And these aren't only things, um, these aren't the only things that there are, but Paul recognizes that these are common things. These are things that every single one of us, no matter where we're at in life, are, are going to struggle with at times. These are common weeds that kind of try and grow up in your garden. And none of the things that Paul says are, are going to be a shock to you. These are the kind of things that you're taught in school from when you're yay high, no matter what you believe. It's the kind of things that we just talk about as being, this is how to, you know, be good to one another. And yet at the same time, these are things that we continue to battle with. Despite everybody recognizing that it's good and it's a good idea and it's the right way. And we battle with them because the only way to freedom is through Jesus making us new and renewing our minds. And so as we go through these things, I want to encourage you to invite God into your hearts and just to begin to put his finger on things and to begin to make your mind new. Let this be a time when you examine your own heart and your own attitudes and your own thinking. That you would be able to today take some action to throw off and to get rid of that old way and to start to live out the new. So the first thing that Paul says is this, and he says it in verse 25. He says, don't lie, speak the truth. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. You know, Paul's already talked a lot about how we've been deceived as part of our old kind of nature, how the world pulls us towards things which harden our hearts and promises us things which it can't ever deliver on. He's already talked about the role of deception in things. And so it's not a great surprise here that when he says you've been made new, it's now time to get rid of lies. And to speak the truth. Because nothing destroys trust more quickly than a lack of truth. And all of us hate being lied to, don't we? So why do we do it? And here's my thinking as I've been getting ready for today. You lie when you're afraid. 
I see it with my kids all the time. The only times they lie to me are when they're afraid they're going to get in trouble or when they're afraid that they're not going to get what they want. We lie when we're afraid what people will think of us otherwise if we tell them the truth. We're afraid that if we don't, we'll lose something that we want. Something that we have. And if I tell you the truth, you might not like me anymore. And the word that Paul uses here is actually falsehood. It's any misrepresentation of the truth. And this then includes more than just your kind of bold-faced lie that you, you think about when you, your kid says to you, to your face that they've not done something that you've watched them do. This means things like when we exaggerate and we twist the truth, the reality, the details, we embellish them just a little bit because if we think, I am, if I embellish these details, if I don't tell things quite as they really are, I'm going to get a bigger laugh. Or I'm going to come out of the story looking a little bit better than it, it really happened. This means when we do things like broken promises and we say we're going to do something, but we just never get round to it. And Paul says... If that you've been made new in Christ. So put off falsehood and speak the truth. Why? Because we are members of one body. Because if we lie to each other, we break trust and we destroy relationships. So second thing, don't sin in your anger. Paul writes, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Paul is pretty clear here. He doesn't say, don't ever be angry. He's pretty clear here that there are times when it's right to be angry. It's right to be angry when you experience or you come alongside someone or you hear about abuse or injustice. There are times when your anger can motivate you to something which is good and godly. When we stand up for what's right. But Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let your anger take you to a place where you're just annoyed with people and you lash out at people. He says, to help you with that, make sure you put a time limit on your anger. You know, some people take what Paul says literally when he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And so before they go to to sleep at night, they'll make sure that they've sorted anything out before they, they settle. And that might be through having a conversation with somebody who you share a bed with, or it might just be with dealing with something in your own heart. But really, I think essentially what Paul is saying here is that while there are sometimes good grounds to be angry, there are never good grounds to hold a grudge. Because when we hold on to anger, when we hold on to a grudge, we give the devil a foothold. Which really just means that we give the devil a place in our lives. You know, we are in a spiritual battle and one of the ways that the devil seeks to to get back into your life, to take over your garden, is through unresolved anger. Let's not give the devil an inch in our lives. 
Let's put off the old way and put on the new. Third thing, don't steal, work to give. Verse 28 says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, there are obvious ways of stealing that it's, it's clear are, are wrong, but there are less obvious and maybe more common forms of stealing where the, the lines kind of get a little bit blurred for people sometimes. You know, taking things from work and not returning them. Uh, downloading things or streaming things on the internet that really you should be, be paying to have. Not being completely upfront on your tax return. And Paul is saying that's part of your old life. Your old life was focused on what you could get, even if that meant taking something that you shouldn't have. From now on, use the gifts and the abilities that God has given you to work. And some of you, some of you, you work in a way where you don't get paid, raising children or volunteering. Some of you are unable to work for different reasons. And Paul's not really addressing that. What he's saying is, if you are able to work, then do. Earn money, but not just so that you can meet your needs and so that you can have what you want. The motivation for Paul when it comes to work is amazing. Because a good society would say work so that you can meet your needs rather than steal. But he says work so that you can go beyond just meeting what you need and you are set free to be generous givers. That as we've been made new in Christ, we would have a heart for others and a vision that is bigger than ourselves. Number four. Don't speak evil, speak what is good. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, if you stop and think about this for a moment, at first it sounds sensible, but if you stop and think about this for a moment, it's seriously challenging. It says, only let... So this is the only type of words that you're allowed to speak. Only let words come out of your mouth that are going to build others up or be for their benefit. Don't let a single word come out of your mouth that is unhelpful to somebody. Now that's challenging, isn't it? And this would be impossible on our own. This would be impossible without us being made new. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, James talks about how the tongue is the hardest thing to, to tame. But I believe that with the help of the Holy Spirit, as we allow our minds to be renewed, we can be transformed to be people who speak words of life. You know, our words have amazing power. Our words can tear down and destroy people churches, organizations, or they can build up and encourage and bring life. So number five, and this is the last one I'm going to try and do just because of time. So number five, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The last verses um, that Paul writes in these bit then, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And this is almost a summary of the kind of attitude that we're to put off and the kind of attitude that we're to put on as people who have been made new. But you know, here we also discover our biggest motivation as to why it's so important. Why it's so important that we live in this new way. Paul says it's so that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, when Jesus makes us new, he also gives us his spirit. And the Holy Spirit works inside of us to guide us and strengthen us and help us to change and transform us from the inside out. But he's not just a power that wants to work. He's a person who loves you. And he has things that he likes and things that he doesn't like. And so by the way that we choose to live our lives, we have the ability to cause God grief. And we have the ability to bring God joy. And that's a sobering thought when you think about those times when you know that you choose your way over God's way. But it's an amazing, inspiring thought as we think about the times when we allow God to make us new. And we choose to put our, off our old self, allow our minds to be renewed and to put on the new. That we have the opportunity every day to bring God joy. You know, that he delights in us. You know, as we go to celebrate the, the baptisms after the service, one of the things that I get most excited about is the fact that I know that as each one of these people makes this decision to be baptized, that it's bringing God joy and that he's celebrating and that he delights in them in that moment. And every time we choose to put off our way and to go God's way, he delights in us and we bring him joy too. What I love, though, in these verses is that even though those times when we don't do that, even in those times when we choose our way over God's way, there's still hope for us in these verses. Because we're reminded that while we may grieve God at times with our behavior and our attitudes, that once we've given our lives to Jesus, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. That our salvation is guaranteed because it's not based on what we do, but on what he has done. And the Holy Spirit kind of holds us fast. He seals us and secures us. And that God's call on us to live in this new way as people who are kind and compassionate and forgive others is all based on the fact that first God in Christ forgave us. And so if God has put his finger on things in your life today, then the good news is that he loves you and he is for you. And forgiveness is available to you. Because the starting point is that first God in Christ forgave us. So as we finish, I want to give an opportunity for each one of us to come to Jesus in a fresh way. And simply to say, Jesus, forgive me. Wash me clean. Make me new. I know that in so many ways I've allowed weeds to grow up in my garden. 
that I've given room for old attitudes and old ways of thinking and behaving that have grieved you. Right now, I choose to put off, to get rid of, to throw away my old ways and to put on and be clothed in your ways. Renew my mind that my life may bring you joy and put you on display.